It's Emily here, and today I want to invite you to make sure to check out Robinhood Integrative Health. If you are a resident of the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, and you're looking for a doctor who treats you differently, looks deeper into the issues that you're having, and seeks to hear you as a person and really help to get you better, then I can't recommend Robinhood Integrative Health, where Dr. Wiggy practices enough. Make sure that you go to their website and see how you can benefit from their services today. And did you know that they even take some insurances, which basically never happens in integrative medicine. So make sure to check them out and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm so excited to welcome back to the show, Dr. Nicole Craven. Hey, Dr. Craven. Hey, I'm happy to be here. It's been a little too long. It has. It has. We're going to have all kinds of things to talk about after this baby's born. So, um. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So for those of you who have not listened to past episodes with Dr. Nicole, first of all, you definitely have to because they're all very relevant to parenting today and better understanding ways to help optimize our children's health outside of the traditional medicine, um, you know, take pills for things all the time type of thing. There's a place for that. But not always. And so Dr. Craven is an integrative pediatrician. She works at Robin Hood Integrative Health with Dr. Wiggy and is part of the amazing team there. And she also is my kid's pediatrician. So that's always super special. But thanks again for coming to talk to us today. And this is a very relevant topic because I don't know what's been going on the past few years. I have some ideas, but it seems like <laughs> Kids are just sick all the time. And as a parent, it can be really difficult to navigate those feelings of like, oh my goodness, here we go again. And to really feel well equipped to help support acute illness. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is just give some parents some tips and some ideas and some advice on how to walk forward when your child wakes up sick and tired and their tummy hurts and all that. And this is going to be a couple part series because otherwise we would be here for three hours. So, um, <laughs> but let's, yes, let's just talk about that. You know, your child wakes up, they have runny nose and eyes and sniffling, they're tired, they want to go back to sleep, that type of thing. Um, we're going to talk specifically about colds and fevers today, because we're in that season. Um, but how do you suggest that parents, those of us that don't have any medical training, uh, assess and prepare for um, how to kind of understand and and be feel better equipped with how to help our kids when they kind of in those early moments where we're like, oh, great, they're not feeling well. Because I'll tell you, almost 11 years in and all the different symptoms we've seen, I feel like it always kind of makes us feel like a little bit helpless as parents, no matter how many times we've kind of 
done the same dog and pony shows. Navigated those waters, right? Yes, yeah. You feel comfortable when you get to the other side, but during it, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, where's the confidence? Yes, absolutely. It can feel very hard to feel like we really know how to love and support them through it and like is this serious or not should they be going to school like obviously if we kept kids home with every single runny nose then no one would ever go to school and so it's just there's just a lot of things to consider and so let's just dive in and like what are those initial symptoms that you see that are maybe not so alarming and then those that maybe we need to pay attention to that they're probably leading it or developing into something else like what are those first things we can recognize and do I think it's important um, to know that if you can recognize an illness at the very beginning like the very first subtle vague sign of a child starting to get sick and tackle it up front then you're very likely to lower the course of the illness and the reason why I say that is because we when we breathe in these bugs they go into our sinuses they go into our nose they stick on our tonsils they're and then if it's a stomach thing they're in our gut and that is the first line of defense and they start to replicate and get happy but if we can do what i call a flushing regimen in the beginning which is day zero to one so that's like within the first hours of symptoms and you do it pretty assertively then you have a very strong likelihood of lowering the possibility of replication of these bugs and then getting them more into the body and having more systemic symptoms like fever. Mm -hmm. To me, it's intuitively when you just know something is off, like, like your child, you know, sniffles occasionally, but all of a sudden has just like copious amounts of watery discharge coming out of the eyes and nose and is sneezing a lot. Or mm-hmm. mom, I'm tired, but not just I'm tired because it's been a hot day or a long day or I ate too much. I'm tired. And then I go lay down and that's not like me. Or, right. or my tummy hurts. You know, you have to ask, well, when's the last time you pooped? But it's the poop is is regular daily and there's no reason that other than that to have a tummy ache then you want to really pay attention to that because that can actually be the first sign of strep is my tummy hurts like before the the throat even hurts right and and i'm not hungry and obviously a lot of kids say that this this day and age i'm not hungry because they've probably eaten something and they don't, you know, something snacky and don't want to eat dinner, but I'm not hungry when it's atypical for your child. So those are like four signs mm-hmm. that, hey, maybe we're going to have an acute illness going around in the house. And when that happens, then if you suspect acute illness, whether it's a virus or whether it's strep or whether it's a tummy bug, then you want to start a flushing regimen. And that mm-hmm. means to clean out the sinuses or wash the sinuses, wash, meaning the nasal passage, because right. kids really don't do um, neti pots very well. And then gargle in the tonsils and hit the gut if it's a stomach thing. And mm-hmm. you want to do that pretty frequently, like every hour or two on day zero to one. Yes, that that's... 
that's everything, right? <laughs> yeah, because maybe maybe that will lower the burden of replication and lower the amount of days sick, and that always is what we're shooting for. Well, and and we talk on the podcast all the time about colloidal silver and how much we go through of it in our house, and I know that's one of the ways that you encourage this, this flushing. Um, and so kind of depending on the symptoms, what we'll do is either the spray and, and the age of the child, we'll, we'll kind of spray it in the nasal passages and in the mouth or for the older kids, let them gargle and, um, very slowly drink it down and kind of out of a shot glass. But what is your specifically, what are your favorite ways to offer that flushing like let's start with the cold the cold um fluish kind of symptoms fevery symptoms um what are your favorite ways to flush okay so we'll go through flush but then I do want to go through each symptom and what's mm-hmm. normal what's not so that yes you can be encouraged by a lot of the symptoms that um seem to be not normal or likely normal as long as you know the progression but first the flushing so Silver, yes, we do use, use silver. We always have to be very cautious, especially on a podcast, because we know in our office that the silver that we use is very safe and safe to ingest. Yes. But, um, if you know that you have that and you have a provider that can guide you to have that, then you can use that to gargle and you know hit your tonsils pretty assertively every hour or two in the first day. Um, and then uh, I love... A combination of saline, which is just salt, as we know, which is very healing, and food-grade hydrogen peroxide, which you can even get just at Whole Foods now. And you, a combo of those one-to-one, you can make your own, and that can be what you use to gargle. And then we have some amazing nasal sprays. Mm-hmm. So kids don't really do, like I said, as well with neti pots, but they they can tolerate saline sprays. And you can go and get just a regular saline spray over the counter to spray up the nose. And you can get anywhere from gentle in the pediatric section to the adult version, which is just saline spray, Mm -hmm. depending on what you think that the kid will tolerate. But we also have this amazing spray in um, in our store called I Am Sinus Spray. And it is so gentle and it's fulvic minerals. So it actually helps balance out the microbes in the gut, which is really important as, as opposed to kill off everything. And kids oh. that really well. And, you, and it's ion. So I-O-N, ion sinus spray. Yes, ion, yes. Yes. And that is a brand, um, just so you know. I just have had a lot of success with it. Yeah, yeah. We actually don't have that in our little cabinet so we're going to need to add that (laughs) (laughs) yes you should yes awesome yes and one of the things that we will do is um we will like if it's something in the sinuses we will nebulize silver or silver with um food grade um peroxide sometimes like and just let the child breathe that what are your thoughts on that well, that's a very controversial thing, you know, oh. in terms of a broad, a broad topic for people, because that was mentioned during the uh, beginning of the COVID pandemic. Right. And um, 
anecdotally, I think it was helping people quite, quite well. But um, then there were some, some um, providers that, that, that the information on how to do that was taken offline. Mm. How to do the hydro, the um, food grade hydrogen peroxide. Mm -hmm. But it's the same principle. So it's the same principle of it's, you're not just flushing out the nose, but you're actually going to get those particles into the sinus tract without getting too much water into the sinus tract. Right. And then also into the respiratory system. So the upper respiratory system. Right. And I, I guess for, for us, it just seems like with kids that can be a little easier for them than, than like spraying up their nose essentially. So perhaps depends on the child. Like it always does. Right. So we're giving general, general tips here. So and, and then and the nebulizer comes sometimes with a mask, so it's going to really help, mm-hmm. you know, to to put that nice fine mist directly into the sinuses. Right, right. Yeah. And then obviously hydration matters always. What are when kids are sick, they don't want to just sit there and drink water necessarily. What are some other ideas of getting our bodies well hydrated? without just drinking plain water when we're feeling icky. Yeah, because it's harder to drink water um, when you're feeling icky, right? Yeah, Um, for all of us, right? (laughs) It is, actually, yeah, when you need it the most. (laughs) Um, I think there are three options that are really great, and I always recommend that you do these options on a regular basis, maybe a weekly basis as like a little healing ritual that you do with your family so that you're used to drinking them. But number one would be bone broth. Mm -hmm. And bone broth is really yummy, but obviously it's, it's savory. And so most things that we have in a cup and in liquid form are sweet. So it can, it can be something you got to get used to, but if you're used to bone broth, that's really easy and probably the most healing thing that you can drink. Now, obviously if you're vegetarian or vegan, you're not going to go that route. And we have other awesome options for hydration, like coconut water. And that's another acquired taste. So I love coconut water. I think it's quite fabulous, but you do have to get used to the taste because it's different from anything else. Right. And then if you just don't have those at home and you want something simple, maybe just a little bit of water with a pinch of sea salt and lemon in it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lemon can be so great, right? Yeah. And then, you know, there's all these electrolyte powders and drinks. I think that just traditionally we've been like, oh, go get Gatorade, which obviously is full of all kinds of junk and artificial colors and nasty sugar and that sort of thing. But there can be electrolyte drinks that are healthier. You just have to watch for what is in there, right? (laughs) Absolutely. They've made some good ones in the last couple of years, I would say. Um, You, what you want when you look at electrolyte drinks is make sure that there aren't any added preservatives like sorbitol they'll put in all of them. Make sure the sugar content is not too high. Um, Obviously, Gatorade is very sugary. Pedialyte has a lot of uh, strange preservatives added to it that I would that I wouldn't recommend. Uh But but electro, we you know there are a lot of electrolyte 
companies out there usually comes in the form of powders and right flavored quite nicely that we can we have them in our store that we mm -hmm. use often as long as it doesn't have the added have the added preservatives and the other thing you want to look for is to make sure there is actually a really decent amount of potassium and salt mm -hmm. yeah right because that's what actually is going to help with the changes, right? Well, let's talk about some of the initial symptoms and how concerned we might need to be as parents. Cause I think kind of that just encouragement, obviously, again, this is just general, but what if my child wakes up and has, um, you know, that, that, that mucusy, their stuffy nose or they're running, but there's no fever. How do we just like, jump on that and approach it correctly. How worried do I need to be? You know, do they just need to go back to bed? Like, how do we just take that runny nose kind of nothing else is going on? They're not really, um, you know, super tired or anything. How do we tackle that and make sure that we're supporting them, but not again, overreacting and Baking our own selves sick over the stress of it, right? <laughs> yes. Well, let's talk about the pattern of what's normal when it comes to upper respiratory infections or colds. Perfect. So 90, it's very important to know and feel confident about that 90% of the time or more, you don't need an antibiotic when it comes to mucus. <laughs> right. And, um, Knowing the typical pattern, I'm going to go through the typical pattern, but obviously everybody's completely different and every virus is a little bit different. The typical pattern is day one, you get what's a more abundant and watery runny nose and discharge. It could be watery eyes as well, more sniffly, sneezy, and more watery mucus. That's like day one to two. And then a cough can start during those days. Then, as you progress, like in today, three to five, this is when the discharge and the nose and the sinus passages and even in the back of the throat gets thicker and it can turn yellow or green on a regular basis. Like that can be a completely normal sign and it's often just a virus. So mm -hmm. this whole, this whole misnomer that yellow or green mucus is definitely bacteria, bacteria and we need an antibiotic for sinuses is not always true, especially if you're looking at the stage of illness, the number of days in. Mm. So, you can, so you can be confident, like if you're in today three or five and it's getting more yellow, maybe even a little bit of green, that's because the mucus is thickening. The water is starting to go into the body and the mucus gets thick in the passages. And a cough goes from dry to wet during that time. So mm. those are are both signs, oh no, is my child getting worse? Actually, no, it's a normal progression at that point. Gotcha. So with the mucusy stuff, what are, and we've already talked about just some general starting points with um, early symptoms, but what, what do you suggest um, when, you know, not jumping the antibiotic route, but that we can help our, support our kids when they are, you know, kind of coffee, mucusy, lots of yellow and green kind of thing. <laughs> yes. So after you've done that flush, hopefully you've realized, um, you know, day zero to one, 
that you needed to be more assertive, then you'll back down on the amount of nasal sprays, but still do it. Still do it about three times a day, especially when the mucus starts to thicken. But one of my very favorite things to do, and it's so old school and it works, is honey. If you mm-hmm. can get local honey, the brown, good brown unfiltered type, then just a teaspoon of honey to the back of the throat helps tremendously. It helps sore throat. It helps that post-nasal drip cough. And you can do that if they're over age one. Of course, you can do that as often as you need to do that, especially right yeah. before bed. Right before bed. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah, absolutely. What about... Um, foods to avoid that maybe make mucus worse? So you want to eat alkaline foods. So that means like we always talk about lowering sugar, packaged food, dairy, processed dairy, and lowering, um, I think heavy meats are harder. They're more acidic, like a lot of heavy meat, unless you cook it in a stew or a nice broth and then lower the amount of wheat and yeast in the diet. Yeah. So just like brothy soups with maybe some chicken in there and some veggies kind of thing. Can all, yeah. is, it's like, so, it's like great grandma, right? Honey and chicken soup. <laughs> maybe they actually that. knew what they were doing, right? <laughs> yeah. Millions of years later and tons more science and we're just going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So what about um, coughing? Like if, if that persistent cough, just, you know, not, not fevery or anything, but just that consistent cough outside of what we've just mentioned, are there other ideas to help relieve that? To help cough particularly? Yes. Yes. So essential oils is a wonderful one. Now you have to be careful with these because you can't ingest them, especially the young kids. So if you have aromatherapy and you have a diffuser, you have to make mm-hmm. sure that it's not reachable. So I just have to say that. But when you know that um, it's not reachable, then you can use eucalyptus as a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. It's known to break up the cough. Some of the really good essential oil companies like doTERRA and Young Living, um, we don't have those because they're multi-level marketing, but they are very pure oils and they do combo combo oils um combo oils for breathing like i think one of them's named breathe and those yes we have that one (laughs) yes it's wonderful and you can rub it on yes that are not too young of course so that's really helpful i love epsom salt baths Mm -hmm. Um, why because salt is healing just all you have to do is think about going to the beach and how much it clears the mucus from every tract <laughs> that you have. Yes. And, um, and that's why we had these salt rooms. They're popping up in, in cities, salt rooms. We have one right near our office, actually. Yes. Yes. But you can do it at home. You can do it at home. So you can do it with just plain Epsom salt baths and breathe in those healthy salts and it helps the respiratory tract, but at the same time you're getting the really relaxing magnesium. Uh, Yes. Which is amazing. Love an Epsom salt bath. Um, Let's talk about fever because fevers tend to freak parents out. And what we generally do is my child has a fever. I immediately give them Tylenol to break the fever. I have learned over the years that 
that is not necessarily our best course of action and that fevers serve a purpose. Will you share more about that with us? Yes, you're right. So fever is the body being smart. <laughs> so if you can ride the heat wave, that's the best thing to do. In other words, to not even treat the fever, just help the child feel a little bit more comfortable with like a cold washcloth on the forehead or even maybe a lukewarm bath if you need it. But it's, mm -hmm. it's best to avoid fever reducers because the fever, the purpose of the fever is to stop the replication of the virus. And when you give a fever reducer and the temperature comes down, the virus says, hey, hey, and gets happy and starts to replicate again. Right. If, if you can stop that replication, your course of illness is going to shorten. Our kids love um, when they have low fevers and just about any other symptoms. We have some of those little, um, they're like the jelly ice packs, so they don't freeze all the way, so they're not crazy cold, and they're wrapped in like a canvas material. They love those for fevers or basically any other time that they are sick or get kicked in the face or whatever might happen, <laughs> but um, I we use those all the time at our house. They were a That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the, like wrap material. So if they hurt a, a limb, you can kind of wrap it around sort of thing. But they sit, you know, on the head easily. You don't have to, you don't have to use like frozen peas or whatever. Although frozen peas work great, right? So, um, that <laughs> type of soft, thing. It's soft and cooling. It's and very nice. soft. It doesn't need like cushioning with it. And um, I think I bought them off Amazon and <laughs> we use them more than I would like, but they're very helpful. So, um, so if a fever, if let's say we have, you know, a fairly low fever and it keeps rising, this is when parents tend to really start freaking out when their child feels so hot. How do we navigate that transition or, you know, what, what, what do you recommend? When do we become overly alarmed? When do we just keep watching that type of thing? So I think the re you, first you got to think of why you get worried that it's rising. I, and the two things are, one, when you hit a certain temperature, is it going to cause neurologic damage, right? Mm -hmm. So, oh my gosh, a really, really high fever. Is this going to cause damage to the brain? And you have to hit... There's no science to show until we get to maybe even 107. So you got to hit 106, 107 for that to happen, as long as there's not an underlying neurologic illness of some sort. Right. Okay. So a high fever has to be extremely high. It's very, very rare, rare, rare situation that that's going to cause damage. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing that I think parents fear is febrile seizures. And what's very interesting about febrile seizures is the science shows that giving an antipyretic, so something like Motrin or ibuprofen or Tylenol, that it does not lower your risk of febrile seizure. So you have to ask why, because it does lower the fever, right? Mm -hmm. do lower the fever. So why does it not lower your risk of febrile seizure? Because the rate at, of rising is so rapid that by the time you're giving the oral medication, it's, it's not even going to help 
to lower that rate of rise. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so it takes too long for that to be absorbed and to help the rate of rising. And you can't predict when that's going to happen. It always happens very early. So say you have like low grade fever and it's just kind of slowly creeping up. That is not usually what leads to a febrile seizure. Usually, you know, parents will come into my office and it's a completely unexpected event. Maybe it's a young child who hasn't had many high fevers. That's usually the case. And they'll say, Oh, I had no idea that it was going to, that that was going to happen. So, so they happen. They're not all that rare, but they're still not very common. So it's not something to fear and treat. It doesn't help to treat that fevers orally to try to prevent that. That does you can't prevent that is what I'm saying. Right. Interesting. That's so interesting. Cause that's not what we typically think, right? It's like, Oh, high fever, all these risks of, um, like you said, neurological damage and seizures. So, um, now you have to also take into account though that the child eventually starts to go from, Oh, I don't feel good. I'm puny. I'm laying around to absolutely miserable. And when you hit, miserable, then you have to use parent intuition to decide if you need to give some sort of fever reducer, right? especially, especially if they're not sleeping because sleep is, is when you heal mm-hmm. and it like rest and restore. So you need to get some really good solid sleep. So yeah, I, I want to make sure that I say clearly, I'm not saying don't take ever give it. And and if you wanted to, you can give homeopathics. There are two beautiful homeopathics and Belladonna is the one that's used for a high fever mm. and pain, like a, a painful ear. And then if you have a low grade fever, uh, there's a great homeopathic called Ferrum Phosphoricum and that works for a slow, low grade, steady one. Awesome. Never have used those before, but that's good to know. So we talked about kind of the the general pattern of this kind of sickness that is is fairly common with the runny nose, the discharge, maybe some coughing, maybe a low grade fever, right? And then things thicken up, they might turn yellow or green. The cough might you might be coughing things up. It could interrupt the sleep, right? And then um, from there, though, the kids generally will, kind of begin to recover, even if that cough continues. How long do you think with fevers that, you know, how long is it typical with whatever illness to maintain some level of fever? Because, you know, a lot of times they're going up and down. We think it's over. It comes back, that type of thing. What is common? And then what do we need to be aware of with fevers that maybe we should pay super close attention to with the, with the process of the, of the illness. So in terms of process of illness first before fever is that coughs can linger and it can be completely normal. So I want to stress that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about day one to two is like water and a little bit of cough and day, and this is just the typical, right? And day uh, three to five, we're getting thicker. And then actually after that, it might, stay thick and it might stay for two weeks. Mm-hmm. However, that is when we should be able to rest a little bit better, sleep a little, you know, my kids had a cough for two weeks, but are they sleeping? Yeah, they're, they're sleeping now. That means that they're getting better. Right. 
So, so don't be scared of that. And then fever is actually also very important just to watch the pattern. It's not just about the number of days, like, oh, we've hit this number of days. Um, we have to be seen. And it used to be, we used to think three days. And then during the pandemic, it would go to five days. And then we were seeing seven days. And But the truth of the matter is more watching the pattern of the fever. Uh -huh. like if, the fever if the fever comes in the beginning, and it's high, and then it goes away, and the child is just getting rid of the mucus after that coughing and congestion, then you're good. If it comes back at the end of the illness, then we want to make sure that there's not a bacterial infection in the sinuses or in the ears, right. and that is when you want to be seen. So that is more of a pattern that we pay attention to the most is when the fever comes. So, and then in the beginning, if there's no fever and then all of a sudden the child gets a fever in a week or two into the illness, that's important too. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. So those are good times that that's important to know as far as this is maybe a good time for your child to be seen. What are anything, what are some other, anything other alarming symptoms that might start early or middle or even at the end that, might be a red flag to be like, oh, maybe I better take the child in. Any other symptoms that are um, can be alarming? Looking, looking at the kid and just paying attention to how puny they they are or not. So if, if if they're starting to get less and less energy and wanting to drink less and less, hydration is so important. If you feel like you're not get, keeping them hydrated, they definitely need to be seen. Looking at um, the cough, like if the cough sounds like a wheeze, if there's any shortness of breath, if there's any increased respiratory rate, they're just breathing a little bit faster, that needs to be seen right away. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. And then obviously the amount of pain. There are things that you can do for pain. Actually, belladonna really works for pain, and that's the same one we were using for the high fever. And mm -hmm. also... If you have ear pain, you can use garlic oil, which is amazing. But it, if the child's in pain and getting more and more puny, they definitely need to be seen. Great. And that's those are great, great tips. So, well, Dr. Nicole, you are always such a plethora of information and wisdom. And I really do feel like this episode will help parents feel better equipped as we go into this season. And obviously, we've talked in the past about nutrition and support and um, in prevention and all that. So, um, I will reference some of those other episodes for just how to better support our kids overall health. So we will do that, but thank you so much. My dog always barks when we have to do a podcast with you every time. <laughs> She's very sweet, but she's... I like it. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us and for all of your wisdom that you share with us. And I'll look forward to catching up with you next time. We'll talk about some other illnesses. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.